Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, Merry Christmas, Calvary. This, this week, earlier this week, I had a breakfast appointment one day and didn't have to be back here to the church till, till noon for a meeting. So I had a couple hours to kill. And I thought, man, if I, if I go home and try to study, I'll get distracted. If I go to the church, and maybe you, you know what this is like, I, I really wanted to work on my, my messages for this weekend. And I thought, if I go to the church, I'll get pulled in different directions. I'm just going to go find some place where I can hide a little bit, you know. So I ducked into a coffee shop and found the, the farthest possible corner where I could hide from everybody because that's, you know, a pastoral thing to do. And so I got, um, you know, in that corner, put my headphones in, you know, got my, and I'm, I'm real like particular. I have my, my iPad set up a certain way so I could see like my study resources and I got this certain kind of format paper that I work with. I use this special pen when I study, right? So I'm all, I'm all in, I'm ready to get in the zone. I'm gonna conquer, like I wanted to just kind of get through Matthew, the end, the end of chapter one into chapter two, because I knew that's what we would talk about in the services t- tonight and tomorrow. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm ready to dig in and I'm, I'm there and I'm like, man, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna have a moment right here as I'm hiding in this coffee shop. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work all my way through. And so I get to the text and I start reading and here's what I get. Matthew chapter one, verse 18, first verse that I'm looking at. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And it was like, like I'm ready to go through like verse after verse after verse. And I felt like the brakes got hit right there. And it was like, stop right there. Sometimes you just know, like you can kind of sense like God's kind of directing something. And for some reason that, that word Messiah, I felt like the Holy Spirit like just kind of prompted me. And maybe it was just the Starbucks anointing. I don't know what it was, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was just like, stay there for a minute. Don't move past that word Messiah. You, you need to park there for a minute and think about this because I could rip through the rest of the Christmas story because Matthew chapters one and two, they're awesome. You've got Joseph and the angel. You've got the Magi and Herod. You've got the gifts and you've got the escape to Egypt. Like you've got all these details that are in these chapters. And I felt like I was supposed to stop right there and really think about this word, Messiah. Now, depending on what version of the scriptures you might have, some other Bible translations might just say Christ the Lord or Jesus Christ or something along those lines. The, the most recent edition of the New International Version uses that word Messiah, and it just, I don't know, it grabbed me. Messiah is a word that comes from a, a Jewish mindset, from Jewish history. If you look in the Old Testament, the root word for that has the idea of something that is anointed or something that is chosen something that God had specifically put his hand on. And it was a word that would be used to kind of designate someone who might be a priest or someone who might be a king. But over time, it went from talking about something to talking about someone, someone who was anointed, someone who was chosen. And in the Jewish history, the Jewish people were looking for someone who would come and rescue them, someone who would come and save them. And so they began to refer to that person as the anointed one or as the chosen one or as the Messiah, the one who was going to come and save them. You know, in our, in our culture, so many times if you're telling a story, you want the story to kind of build and you want it to get to a point where there's a certain climax and you just, there's like this reveal and there's a plot twist and there's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. 
You know, we watch TV that way. We watch movies that way. We read books that way. That way, if somebody tells you how a movie ends, you kind of get ticked off, right? Because you don't want to know how it ends. You want to experience that for yourself. Matthew, in our day and time, would kind of be a horrible storyteller (laughs) because that's not what he does here. If I were Matthew, I'd have told the story and and I'd have set up all the details and I'd have let the intrigue and the adventure build and then I'd get to the end and I'd say, and that little baby Jesus was the Messiah. Ta-da! Right, that's what I would do. Not Matthew. Matthew goes, hey, I'm gonna tell you a story. It's about Jesus. He's the Messiah. (laughs) And that seems kind of anticlimactic to me unless you realize what his point is. He doesn't want you to miss what he's trying to communicate. As we get into the thick of this Christmas week, it's probably good for us to stop and think about what this story means to us. Christmas and and all the celebrations that we have are all about what happened on that first Christmas. They focus on the what. We'll talk about a lot of different details, focusing on the what. For many of you, it's about what is going to happen in the next 72 hours. For a lot of you, you're panicking about what has to happen in the next 36 hours. Anybody? (laughs) Right? It's the what. All that needs to happen. What did happen? But if we're not careful, the what will become more important than the why. We cannot allow the what to become more important than the why. This is the point that Matthew's trying to make. He says, look, I'm gonna tell you what happened, but don't forget why it happened. Why it happened is because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the why. It's not just a cool story. The what makes it a cool story. The why will change your life. And there's times when I've I've gotta check myself, especially in the Christmas season, because I love the what all the things that come with Christmas, what we do to celebrate. I love the tree, and I love the food, and I love the music, and I love the gifts, and I love the food, and I love the family, and I love the friends, and I love these services, and I love the food. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Right, I love this. This is great. But if the what becomes more important than the why, I begin to miss the point. And Matthew says to us, right, he says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So he's going to tell you the how he became the Messiah. It's right here in this. And the how is fascinating. When you think of this story, detail after detail after detail, and I know for the majority of us, it's not a new story. You know this story. You've heard it before. You heard me talk about it last year. Right? We, we've talked about this story before, but think of how it happened. Think of the characters. You got Joseph, who's visited by an angel, and everything about this kind of centers on this, this very special lady named Mary. And then you have the wise men or the magi. Sometimes we, we call them the three kings that are in this story. And then you have Herod, and then you have all the people in Israel, and the story even extends into Egypt. You've got all these characters that float around. But at best, even though it's a fascinating story with incredible characters, at best, all those other characters are just supporting actors and actresses. This story is about one who, and it's about Jesus. And we cannot allow the how to become more important than the who. It's so important that we remember who this story is about. Which brings us to the point that that I I think Matthew was trying to make here, and I think why that, that passage caught my attention, and where we need to start today, 
If I'm so caught up in the what of Christmas and the how of Christmas, it will cause me to miss the why of Christmas and who Christmas is all about. And so this year, I don't want to miss the who. We're going to take a, a real brief look at the Christmas story through the eyes of some of these characters, the ones that we see in Matthew 1 and 2, Joseph and Herod and the Magi, and what Christmas meant to them, or maybe even a better question, who Jesus was to them. My question to you is, who is Jesus to you, and why does it matter? If the who and why of Christmas is so important, then who is Jesus to you, and why does it even matter? We're going to look through some different lenses today. Let's start by going back to the text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Remember our question today. Who is Jesus to you? Let me show you this and maybe answer it through some different characters. The first one is this. To Joseph, he was the Savior. When we look at this story, and if we start by considering the perspective of Joseph, to Joseph, he was the Savior. Now, now tonight and tomorrow in those services, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the life of Joseph. But he's a fascinating story to me because he had to be a really special guy. We, we've got to assume that he was a man of character and integrity. If we look at Jewish history in that time, if we look at what scripture says, even if we watch and see how his children turn out, it shows us that he must have been an exemplary person. But his whole world gets turned upside down. You think about this. He's got a plan. He's a guy with a job. He's a guy with a fiance. He's got this whole thing worked out in his head, and then all of a sudden he finds out that his fiance is pregnant. Not only that, but he knows for a fact that's not his baby. And then when he talks to her about it, she says, well, here's the deal. This, this baby is conceived in me miraculously. This baby is from God, and this baby will be the son of God. Can you imagine where that might be a tough story to believe? Right? I mean, we look at it and we go, oh, how interesting, how historical, how miraculous. If I'm Joseph in the first century, I'm going, how crazy. Like, Mary, I love you, and you've never given me any reason to doubt you. But how am I supposed to believe that? How am I supposed to buy that story? That's when the angel shows up. And the angel comes and puts it all in perspective. Joseph has this divine dream. And there's this supernatural explanation that's given. And the angel gives him instructions. And he says, this is all important. And here's the reason why. Because when this baby is born, you're to name this baby Jesus because, and here's the, here's the key spot right here. Here's the why. Because he will save his people from their sins. And we say that every year. And we sing songs about it, even, even kind of randomly, the, the different Christmas songs that you might hear in the store or on the radio. Mention that he's a savior. 
who has come to save us from our sins. But I have to ask myself this question every year, when we, especially when we come to this part of the story. I have to ask the question, why do we need saved from sin in the first place? Like for many of us, that might be a moment where we go, well, does that apply to me? Is that really important? Why do I need saved from sin? Sin is an interesting thing. We know that our world is a sinful place and that all of us at some point, if you're just honest about it, we've all sinned at some point. But why do we need saved from sin? I think we need saved because sin steals peace from today. If we're looking at it in a very simplistic and a very general sense, sin steals peace from our today. The way that you live your life today, the way that you look at your life, sin steals that peace from us. You know this, the choices that you've made that can oftentimes lead to guilt or frustration. The fact that we live in a fallen world where sin comes in and affects us through our own sin, through the sins of others. It's because of sin that there's war and that there's disease and that there's fighting. We don't live in a perfect world because we live in one that's been marred by sin. And so for so many of us, if we get right down to it, what we're looking for is peace. How do we find it? Well, this goes all the way back to the, to the very first Christmas If you look at the story in Luke chapter two, when the angels come and make their announcement to the shepherds that the Savior has been born, here's what they say, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. From the very beginning, this has been a message of peace, that God brings us peace through Jesus, who's the Savior. And so if you're looking for peace today in your life, for many of us, we're trying to find that. It may be peace for this moment because of the chaos of Christmas. Or for some of us, it may, it may go a lot deeper where we've not known any peace in our lives at all. That peace is found, in spite of sin, in a Savior who is Jesus. But this, this whole sin thing gets a whole lot more complicated than that. Sin doesn't just steal peace from our today James chapter 1, verse 15 says this. He's talking about temptation here, and he says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What's on the other side of sin? It's death. Sin not only steals peace from today, but sin steals life from tomorrow. Death is this thing that kind of hangs over us. The Bible tells us in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death but that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we have this this part of our lives that is impacted by death. For many of us, we we feel and we sense that during the Christmas season. Like, I've talked to a lot of you. In fact, I, I I can look out, and I know some of your stories, and I know that for some of you, this will be the first Christmas that you'll spend without a loved one because death has stolen that person from you. For many of us, this season reminds us of what we've lost or of the places where we struggle or those challenges, and we see what sin has taken from us, and we also see what death stirs in us. Because if we're honest, for all of us, death is this uncertain thing, this unknown thing, this fear-creating thing, because we wonder what is on the other side of this. Death is powerful, and we have this issue with sin that we need saved from because it steals peace from today. It steals life from tomorrow. We're covered by this challenge that sin brings to us and we do all these things on our own to try to deal with it. 
We try to cover it over with possessions or with pleasure. We try to kind of minimize sin by, by doing good deeds or religious living. And the reality is it just comes down to this. We do all these things to try to deal with the effects of sin, trying to find peace, trying to beat death, when at the end of the day, we're helpless to do it on our own. And the reality is that, that there is this challenge that when this life is over, there is another life. And the life we want to live is in the presence of God. We, we want to go to heaven. But what does the Bible tell us? That because of our sin, we are separated from God. And there is no bridge that you can build that's going to get you from this life when you die into God's presence in the next life. You can't do it on your own. No matter how hard you try, there's no way for you to cross that bridge. That's why you need saved from your sin. That's why you need a savior. There's a, there's a bridge that's called the Golden Bridge that's in Vladivostok, uh, Russia. Several years ago, they closed it off to foot traffic, so pedestrians can't go across it anymore. If you're going to go across it, you have to be in a vehicle. It's vehicle traffic only, which isn't that big of a deal, except that if you're trying to get across the river into the, the center city, that's the quickest way. That's the most direct route. So if you're on foot, if you don't have a vehicle, you have to take one of these other bridges that's actually a less direct route, but you can't go the other way, the Golden Bridge, because it's vehicles only. Unless you're sneaky and you try to think this through. Let me show you a picture of what four guys did earlier this year. They decided we're going to get across this bridge, so they built their own vehicle and they constructed, here's a picture, this bus that they made out of a cardboard box. So we're going to beat the system. We're going to cheat this thing. We're going to get across this bridge. Here's the problem. The guy in the yellow vest behind them is the security officer who's turning them around and getting them off this bridge. He said, nice try, but you can't get across this bridge unless you have the right vehicle. It sounds like heaven, doesn't it? We try to build our own bridge. We try to do our own things. We try to work on our own. We try to earn it. We think maybe if I'm just good enough, when the reality is sin has made it so you can't get across that bridge unless you have the right vehicle. And the only way to get from this life to the next life into the presence of God is you need a savior. You need someone who can save you. That's the rest of the Christmas story. That's why Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And yet they, they crucified him. He died on a cross to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. He was buried in a tomb, but on the third day he rose again. And he lives today, and he lives to be our Savior. When you find the Savior, you find salvation. My encouragement to you is, my question for you is, who is Jesus to you? Is he your Savior See, that, that's, that's a good question for many of us. We would say, yes, 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 he's my savior. He's the one that I've looked to for forgiveness and for grace and for hope in my life. I have made him my savior and my Lord, and we found that. For others of you, let's just be honest, and especially at this time of year, you, you couldn't maybe say he's your savior, but you could say, I, I know who he is. He's a, he's a character in the story. And I, and I give him a, a little bit of attention, especially at Christmas, but he hasn't really changed my life at all. And then there's others of us, and I really do believe this is something that God does, that, that the Holy Spirit of God is, is like doing something inside of you, and there's this realization, there's this revelation that's happening inside of you where you know, I can't do this on my own anymore. 
Like you, you talk about this bridge, you talk about this hope, you talk about these promises. I need someone to help me so that I can find peace and that I can find hope, so that I can find this life and there's something stirring inside of you and what's stirring in you is that desire that God's opening up his, his truth to you that you need a savior. So what do you do with that? To Joseph, and we'll really see this in the, in the services the, tonight and tomorrow, Joseph opens himself up to, to see that Jesus is his savior, but there's another response, right? Watch what happens. Let's go back to the story. Matthew chapter two, verse one. Well, let's switch characters here. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. The magi, or the wise men that we talk about sometimes, were probably from the area of, of Babylon, from Persia, about 900 miles to the east from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. We'll talk about them a little bit more in a few minutes, but they show up, and watch what happens. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. How many of you believe Herod? <laughs> like, if you, if you don't know this, he's the bad guy in this story. Like, he's, he's, the, he's the nemesis. He's, he's the evil dude in this story, because he doesn't want to worship Jesus. He doesn't want to worship anybody but himself. If you know Herod's history at all, you know that anytime anybody challenged him in any way, his default mode was to kill them, even if they were his family members. He killed a lot of his own family members. You know why? Because Herod didn't like a threat. And here's the second thing I want you to see. If you're asking the question, who is Jesus to you? Maybe think about Herod's response because number two, to Herod, he was a threat. To Herod, Jesus was a threat. We're, we're threatened by things that take our security. We're, we're threatened by things that we didn't expect or that are out of our control. And when we come up against a threat, there's responses that we have. And we're living right now, actually, in kind of this season of adrenaline, right? There's all kinds of things that happening, swirling around us. I've talked to, how many of you have been shopping in the last 48 hours and you regret it? Anybody? Right, it's kind of that season, Last, last week, I told in the, the message a little bit of my less than proud moment in the store. Does anybody remember this with the cart and trying to get around all the pagans that were out there? Does anybody remember that? <laughs> a lot of you actually remembered it because I had to, I had to go to the grocery store, uh, just cross the street and pick up a couple things the other day, and I ran into a bunch of people from Calvary. <laughs> and I thought, I better be on my best behavior. First guy, I kind of, I didn't literally bump into him, but you know, the first guy I bumped into, he's like, Pastor, these people out here are driving me crazy. I can feel what you're talking about. And I'm like, this guy's confessing my sin to me. That was kind of how this 
you know, was happening. And then I ran into another couple from the church and they were like, they said to me, they're like, pastor, we are the people you were talking about. <laughs> like, like we stand in the middle of the aisle and like, you know, this kind of thing. And what was funny was as I was standing there talking to them, we became the people that I've talked about, right? There's these, these moments where you're in this rush. Why do you get like that in those moments? Because you've got a goal and anything that stands in your way becomes a threat. That was where Herod was at. He was threatened. What do, you, what do you do when there's a threat? Well, they tell us that there's like three kind of basic responses. When you're threatened by something, you typically will fight, flight, or freeze. You ever heard that? Like that's kind of the norm. Sometimes when we're threatened by something, our natural response is to fight it. That's what Herod does. Like we'll read in just a few moments how he responds, but he just sees that this baby Whoever this baby is, if anybody thinks it's a king and Herod knows he's the king, then that pseudo-king is a threat to him. And so he's going to fight it. That was Herod's response. Now look, I, I know you're not a bad guy. But some of us have that same response to the Savior. Because when we think about Jesus and how serving him might affect our lives, how it might mean that something changes, how it might mean that I might have to give something up, how it might mean that, that if I'm gonna really follow Jesus, my life might be different. Sometimes my, my, my default mode, my gut response is to fight and say, I don't want that change. I, I don't want that to happen. And we push Jesus away because we're afraid of what it might mean if he becomes a savior, does that become a threat to the way I like to live? Sometimes our response is to fight. For others of us, our natural response to the Christmas message or even to what we might call the Christian message is not fight, but it's flight. I, just, I would rather ignore it. I'd rather just get away from it. There, there might be some truth to this whole thing about God and Jesus and heaven and salvation and all that, but right now, I'm just thinking about Christmas cookies. I don't have time for this. Right, And so we run away from it. We, we, we take flight from that. I think the majority of us, our natural response to the, to the Jesus story at Christmas is not fight or flight. It's probably freeze. Like if, I, I know it's out there, and it's good, and I'll sing the songs, and I'll listen to it, but if I can just get through the rest of December without having to confront God in my life, that's great. I'm just going to sit right here. And in the midst of this, we wrap ourselves up in Christmas with so many other things they, they insulate us so we don't have to think about some of these things. This dude ordered something from Amazon recently, and when the box came, it was bigger than he thought it would be, and it was heavier than he thought it should be. And he opened it up, and as he did, you know that, that brown packing paper they put inside of things, like to, to ship it, to protect it? He starts pulling the brown packing paper out, and he measured it. He pulled out 100 feet of that brown packing paper, Here's why this is so ironic. Do you know what he ordered? He ordered a big roll of bubble wrap. <laughs> why would you pack around bubble wrap? It doesn't make any sense. Bubble wrap, you're with me, right? It doesn't make any sense. This is exactly what we do, especially at Christmas. 
We find all kinds of other things to wrap ourselves up with so we don't have to deal with the very thing that's going on around us. We insulate and isolate ourselves from the truth about certain things because if I deal with the truth that Jesus might actually be the son of God and the savior, it might be a threat to the way I like to live my life. Does that make sense? Like this is important for us to consider. Herod didn't like it. Watch what he does. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Look, I I know Herod is the bad guy in this story, and I know that you are not. But we all have a little bit of Herod in us that when we're threatened, we respond in some way. And when you hear this Christmas message, when you, when you have to ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Remember this, we must be careful that we do not view as a threat the very thing that has been designed to save us. Jesus, the angel said, came to save people from their sins. Herod was one of those people. And yet he pushed away any chance for Jesus to ever be his savior because he was threatened that he might take away something that he held dear. Look, for some of you this, this Christmas, it's, it's time for you to stop fighting the truth about who Jesus is. Maybe there's places in your life that you look at it and you go, I know that this is not pleasing to God. I know that this is not the way that he would have for me to live. I know that this is robbing peace from me and robbing life from me. And instead of continuing to fight that because somehow you might see it as a threat, what if you were to open up your heart and just say, God, I I surrender myself to you. I need you to be my savior. Salvation is found in surrender. When we recognize that there is, there is no other way, there's no other person, there's no other place that we can find that peace and that hope and that joy except through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of the Christmas message and you'll see it so clearly in this, this the third lens, these third people we'll look at. To Joseph, Jesus was a savior. To Herod, he was a threat. But let's go to the Magi, number three. To the Magi, he was the king. To the Magi, he was the king. If these guys were who we suspect them to be, they came from over 900 miles away. If you remember Old Testament history at all, you know that the Jewish people at one point were exiled to Babylon. And after they were released and able to go back to Israel, many of the Jewish people stayed there in Persia. And there was a strong Jewish influence in that time. So the fact that these magi or these these leaders or these wise men in that time knew some of the Jewish scriptures is actually not surprising. And when they saw the star, they connected all these things and said, "There's, there's a king that's been born. And so they had to figure this out. Then they had to pack up and then they had to make this trip. So by the time they get to Bethlehem, it's probably several months after Jesus was born. And if you've ever looked at a nativity scene, you know that there were only three of them that came with their gifts. But that's not historically accurate. The truth is, it wasn't just three dudes on camels. It was was more like a circus. They probably came with camels and horses and who knows what other animals. And they came with servants. And there was probably more than just three of them. You know, we always think there were three because they brought gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh, right? That's the thing that we think about when we look at this. There was probably more than this. This was a show that came to town. 
And when these guys showed up, it got attention. That's why Herod was so freaked out. Watch what happens next. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They found what they were looking for. You're probably going to see that Tuesday morning under a Christmas tree. When somebody's going to open a present, and it's going to be the thing that they're looking for. Do you remember that look on a child's face? This is it. This is it. They open it, and they're overjoyed because they found what they were looking for. Do you remember me telling you about my Steelers bike last week? Does anybody remember this? I talked about it last week, and the Steelers won, so I thought I should talk about it again today. (laughs) Right? So my mom went home from church last week, dug around, and she found this picture That's real. That's an anointed vehicle of victory right there. And check out those PJs. Aren't those awesome? But but look at the, and if you don't know at all what I'm talking about, ToledoCalvary.org, you can listen there. But look at the look on that handsome kid's face. He's tickled. Why? Because he got what he was looking for, and now he's overjoyed. There is something about when you find what you're looking for. When you find the king, you find joy. And for some of you, December is joyless for you. And maybe for good reason. Maybe 2018 has been a tough year. Maybe the things that you've gone through make Christmas less than enjoyable. Maybe there's all kinds of things that you're wrestling with and struggling with. Maybe you feel like your journey has been tough and you've come a long way. I'm telling you, though, that when you recognize through surrender to the Savior who the king of your life is, there is a joy that comes and there is a peace that comes. And the more you try to strive and figure it out yourself, the more frustrated you get. It's not until you recognize that he's the Savior and you make him your king. That's where you find joy. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Like, that's true, right? I'm not just making this up. Watch what happens, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those those were some pretty legit gifts. Gold is, of course, gold. And we like gold. Like, it's, it's valuable. Was then, is now. Frankincense and myrrh were treasures from the east that if you were to get them in the Mediterranean world where Jesus lived, they had to be imported in. These were things of great value and of great worth. What these magi brought were not just, this was not a white elephant gift exchange. Do you know what I'm talking about? This was, they might've had elephants with them. We don't know. This was a big deal. And these gifts have tremendous value. There's something important when you, when you find a king You worship him with your best. When you find a king, you worship him with your best. Which causes me to ask the question, who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior or is he a threat? And if you choose to surrender to him as your savior, then you know him as your king, which means that you give him your very best. And let's just focus on that in the next 72 hours. It means that you remember the who and the why of Christmas. That it's not just about all the what and the how. 
But it's about who he is and why he came. And what's interesting is when you remember the who and the why, it begins to affect the what and the how. Because how you celebrate is then worked through him. So that when you open those presents or when you sit around that dinner table or when you interact in that maybe tense moment, you remember that everything I do and say, I want to worship and I want to honor him. You recognize that he is the one who is Lord of your life so that when you make your decisions and you make your choices, you do it through the filter of him being your savior and your king. Christmas is such a critical time for us to not just get so caught up in the what and the how that we miss out on the who and the why in this really important time. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And I wanna challenge you to just think about that question. Who is Jesus to you? Why does it matter? Because he came to save us. So is he your savior? Or is he a threat? And if there's a place in your life where maybe just for a moment or maybe for years, he's been a threat to you. And today you need to just make this moment of surrender and say, Jesus, I need you to be my savior and my king. And would you let the Holy Spirit just speak to your heart? Two, two quick questions before we pray. I, I'd ask this. If you're, if you're here today, maybe you're, you're sitting in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere and you would say, I know that Jesus is my savior and he's my king and I wanna thank him this Christmas. Would you just raise your hand? Just kind of an affirmation, a statement of faith. I, I know he's my savior. I know he's my king. And I thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. Here's, here's just a second question then. How many of you would say today, I need him to be my savior and king. Maybe at one point you were in right relationship with him. But since then, that, that relationship has just, maybe it's just become a, a Sunday only or maybe just a couple times a year only where you focus on him. Or maybe you've never known his peace and his joy and his hope and his life. And you'd say today, I can't do it on my own anymore. And today I need to make Jesus the savior and king of my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thanks, yeah, you know this. Anyone else today? I need to make him my savior and my king. Just raise your hand. Put it right back down. It's just between you and God. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raised your hand either one of those times, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin and be my savior. I make you king of my life. Be my Lord. I give myself to you this Christmas in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look, those, those words that you just, just prayed are, are just that. They're just words. But what matters is what happens in your heart in that moment. If you prayed that prayer, especially if you prayed it for the first time today, I hope you'll grab one of these cards on your way out. It says, I have decided. If you'll take that to our Connection Center following the service, we have friends that are there that would love to pray with you. We have a Bible that we want to give to you and just want to say um, uh, congratulations and encourage you in knowing Jesus more. If you're watching this on a screen, right at the top of our webpage, there's a, there's a link that says Jesus. And if you click on that, there's more that you can learn there about how to become a follower of Christ. One last thing before we go, would you stand with me? And um, in just a few hours, tonight at four, and then all day tomorrow, four services, we're gonna have all kinds of people come in this room 
and they're gonna hear the message of Jesus Christ communicated through song, through video, through God's word in a really clear way. And every year we see people who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Every year we watch lives get changed and we're excited about what's gonna happen here in these next few days. And I would love it if we would pray for those services. Could you join me in that? And here's even maybe specifically, and I don't, I don't mean for this to be weird at all, but maybe even just pray for the chair that you're, that you're in or the one that's in front of you and just believe that somebody's gonna sit in that seat whose life is gonna be changed because of what's gonna happen here. And so Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have in these next few hours to share with people who have, who have seen it in social media or who received a postcard or who've been invited by a friend to experience the good news of Jesus Christ this Christmas. Lord, we pray for our teams that will lead us in worship and hospitality and, and serving our children. God, we pray for your message that will be communicated. God, that you would use these services to transform people's lives. God, we pray against any distractions or things that would, would keep people from coming. Lord, even now, you, you may be putting somebody in, in one of our hearts to invite to be with us. God, would you use these services to help people experience life change through Jesus Christ, we pray. Now, as we go from here, would you go with us? God, we ask that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here this morning. Hope to see you tonight or tomorrow. Have a great day. Merry Christmas.